welcome to you, wherever you are at, whomever you are with. We are so very glad that you are here with us this Memorial Weekend. By the way, happy Memorial Weekend to you, uh, whether you're on the road or in the air. Uh, if you're traveling, we wish you safe travels indeed. And if you've uh, chosen to stick around this weekend, uh, good choice. Uh, I do want to take a moment and just pause with you. And uh, if you haven't done so already, would you use this brief moment of silence to just say, uh, utter under your breath or out loud, thank you. Uh, thank you to those who made the ultimate sacrifice, serving our country, serving us, protecting our freedom. And uh, let's just pause for a moment of silent gratitude. Well, God, we do want to take a moment this Memorial Weekend and just say thank you uh, to all those who have paid the ultimate price, who've spilled their own blood, who've left families and uh, safety uh, to really put it all on the line to protect our way of life. And Lord, we don't express our gratitude enough. And we just want to uh, say thank you to all of those families who have suffered that degree of loss. And uh, we do pray for your comfort, Lord, uh, whether there are those who, uh, even in this past year between last memorial and this Memorial uh, Weekend, uh, have lost a loved one in service to our country. Or Lord, uh, for those who, maybe it was decades ago, and uh, this observance this weekend opens up old wounds and brings back memories. Lord, we just pray for your comfort and your affirmation. Uh, we are grateful, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, well, uh, I do want to jump right into our teaching uh, this weekend. Uh, we are in a series called Almost Happy, and uh, this really uh, emerges from not only the words and the teaching of Jesus, but the priorities of Jesus that he came to bring us joy. In fact, he said very clearly, I have come that they, meaning you and I, may have life and have life to the full. And then in John 15, Jesus said, these things I've spoken to you, I've taught you, so that my joy may be in you. Imagine that, the joy of Jesus being in us, and that your joy may be made full. And so we're looking at this idea uh, that to be almost happy isn't quite what God has in store for us. And it's those things that are lacking and missing that can trip us up and lead us astray, and ultimately uh, remove us from that fullness of joy that God would like to work in each one of us. We're looking at Paul's letter to uh, a group of his friends uh, in a, a church in an area called Philippi. And uh, in this letter to the Philippians, in just four short chapters, Paul mentions 16 times the word joy or rejoice. In fact, his theme could be summed up in these words, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Well, the title of my message uh, this weekend may surprise you, and it's called literally losing my religion. And uh, if that sounds like an odd focus for our teaching, I think as we get into what Paul has to say about our religious attitudes and actions, you'll find that uh, losing 
my religion could actually be a great thing and cause me to gain something so much better. So uh, beginning in Philippians chapter 3, verse 1, Paul says, Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. Have you heard that before? Rejoice in the Lord. And what he's, uh, what he's encouraging them to do is to find their peace and their well-being and their joy and their happiness in what Jesus Christ has already done. Rejoice in the finished work of Christ on the cross. Rejoice that if you've uh, called upon him, he has made you a child of God, a new creation, put his spirit on you. Uh, he says, rejoice in the Lord. It's no trouble for me to write these things, uh, same things to you again and again. In fact, Paul says, it's a safeguard for you. For you. Uh, I was reading one commentator on this passage, and he literally says this, Christian joy, the exalting of our spirit that flows from the acceptance of the free gifts of God's grace is the best protection against a negative and divisive outlook on life. Hear that again. Uh, rejoicing, the exaltation of our spirit that flows from accepting the free gifts of God's grace is the very best protection we can have against a negative or a divisive outlook on life. Uh, Paul says rejoicing is a safeguard for our souls. And I would ask the question, what's it a safeguard from? If joy protects us and keeps us safe, what does it keep us safe from? Well, the answer is bad religion. Uh, see, when we rejoice in what God has already done for us through the person of Jesus Christ, it protects us from trying to do things on our own that we could never, ever accomplish. In fact, uh, here would be my simple definition of religion gone wrong. It's any ongoing response to God that does not produce love and compassion for people. And you'll notice uh, the word responding to God is in quotes because really that kind of faith is really not a response to God at all. It, responding to God as the Bible teaches us uh, cultivates a heart of love and compassion for others. Uh, and uh, what we're gonna find is that uh, conducting ourselves uh, in a way of doing faith that doesn't produce love and compassion for people is in its very nature bad religion. In fact, uh, James, the brother of Jesus, uh, cites a, a lifestyle that he calls worthless religion. And this is religious practice that does not take into account the needs of people who are desperate. Uh, it brings to mind a, a story Jesus told of the Good Samaritan. And interestingly enough, uh, his story highlights religious people who were on their way to do their religious duties and they saw someone who had been beaten and atta attacked by robbers, left for dead. And uh, in their religious devotion, they found a way to avoid the desperate needs of this man who had been left by the side of the road. And along comes a, a Samaritan, an outcast, an outsider, one who had no corner on the God market whatsoever. Yet he noticed this guy in need and uh, tends to his needs gives of his own time and his resources. And Jesus highlights that. In fact, Jesus spun this tale to draw attention that true religion uh, responds in love and compassion to the needs of any 
people that we happen to encounter. This is real and this is good uh, religion. And well, maybe you say when it comes to matters of faith to each his own. And certainly that's true. We each get to make our own choices. But like cancer, uh, bad religion usually does not contain itself real well. In fact, Paul uh, is writing to his friends to tell them to be on their guard against religious practice that does not have the outcome of love and compassion for people. And so he says in verse 2, watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. And it, uh, a side note here, apparently these uh, religious leaders were invading the church that Paul had established, and they were teaching them that they could not be right with God unless they were circumcised. Uh, this right from the Old Testament that in its time was appropriate, and it was what God called his people to do, but no longer. In fact, Paul says, uh, for it is we who have chosen to put our hope in Christ. We are the real circumcision. Uh, we have the real marks of having been set apart for God. And it's we, Paul says, who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus. In other words, we put all of our hope in what Christ did on the cross to make us right with God and who put no confidence in the flesh. And though Paul says, I myself have reasons for confidence in the flesh. And it's uh, helpful to acknowledge something in these words uh, where Paul refers to people as dogs and mutilators of the flesh. He's mad. Uh, Paul is angry and he's angry at a type of religion that would put weights and expectations on people that would distance them from God and remove them from the joy of their salvation. Uh, here's a good question to ask. What does it mean to put confidence in the flesh? When it comes to our spirituality, when it comes to the way we do religion, what does it mean to put confidence in my own human effort? Uh, well, I would say uh, just that. When we trust in our abilities, when we trust in our efforts, when we look to the things that we do to give us merit and standing with God and to perhaps put us above others, we are trusting in the flesh at that point. Those kinds of outlooks and attitudes are the beginnings of bad religion. Uh, you know, once I uh, ordered a landscaping rock. It may not sound like something you buy to, to beautify your yard, but I, I felt like a, a, our landscape design needed a centerpiece. And so I ordered what was referred to as a three-person rock. And uh, I remember asking the question, well, what does a three-person rock mean? And uh, the guy said, well, it takes at least three people to move it. And I thought, well, that's interesting. So uh, the truck came with our three-person rock, and I said, go ahead and drop it right there, and I'll move it around as I need to. Well, I came to find out I couldn't move that rock at all, no matter what I did. I had a, I had a big iron, uh, iron bar, and I thought to myself, give me a lever, and I'll move the world. And I could barely get that thing under the rock, let alone move it. And uh, apparently that rock weighed more than the world. And uh, we had an a uh, landscaper who was getting on in years. In fact, he was semi-retired. And uh, he happened to come over that day, and I enlisted his help to uh, help me move this three-person rock. 
And uh, I believe he went into full retirement after that effort. But, you know, I always think of that rock. Moving that rock is, is kind of like trying to, trying to base our merit with God on what we do. And uh, in some ways concluding that because of our own effort, we are somehow okay with God and better than most people. That is the essence of bad religion. In fact, the Apostle Paul would lift himself up as an example. He said, look, if you want to base your relationship with God on what you do that gives you merit, well, I did that better than anyone. Here's what Paul says. If someone else thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Uh, and then he gives a litany. He gives this list of what gave him a special position with God. He says, uh, I was circumcised on the eighth day, not as a latecomer, not as a convert from some other uh, nation, but uh, I was born of the promised people, and I was circumcised as the scriptures specify on the eighth day. He says, of the people of Israel, I was of the tribe of Benjamin. And if you read through the Old Testament, there are many occasions where the tribe of Benjamin rose above the others. You know, they were the exemplary ones. They were the faithful ones. They were the courageous ones. They were the pure ones. And Paul says, I wasn't just an Israeli. I was of the tribe of Benjamin. And when it came to religious learning, I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. In regard to the law, I was a Pharisee. And the Pharisees would have been the PhDs of uh, Israeli religion. You know, they knew uh, every jot and tittle of the Old Testament law. And not only that, they created their own laws and developed uh, a very complex way of responding in integrity to God. Paul says, I was among the Pharisees. And as for zeal, I was a persecutor of this sect called Christians uh, because I felt like they were violating the revelation of God. And it's kind of enlightening to look at where this apostle of love actually came from. If you read the account in the book of Acts, uh, we're told that um, when in, in Acts chapter 6 and 7, when uh, the young man named Stephen was speaking out, uh, testifying to the resurrection of Jesus, and he spoke with such clarity and conviction uh, that the people who were looking on said he had the face of an angel, and no one could refute his wisdom, but the religious leaders of whom Paul was one, they gnashed their teeth. They were angry at the things that Stephen was saying about putting our faith in Christ and leaving behind our human effort. And uh, their anger finally came to a full boil. And we're told uh, at this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they rushed at Stephen. They dragged him out of the city and they began to stone him. And meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. Now this is the apostle Paul. Uh, prior to his conversion, his name was Saul. It would be like me being Chuck, but prior to my conversion, I was Charles. And so uh, Paul shows up on the scenes, and uh, as Stephen is being martyred, and the, uh, the people that are throwing the stones take off their coats so they can take better aim, they laid their garments at the feet of this young Pharisee named Saul. 
And uh, then we're told Saul approved of their killing Stephen. And on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. And so here's an example of Paul's zeal for persecuting the church. Uh, we're told, but Saul began to destroy the church in Acts chapter 8. Um, going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women, and he put them in prison. See, Paul has a list of the things that made, gave him merit if he chose to put confidence in his own religious efforts. He would say, look, I was born of the promised people. I went through all the rituals and all the rites. I learned everything that needed to be learned. And as far as living it out, no one surpassed me in terms of dedication and zeal. And so Paul is saying, look, if anyone has cause to put confidence in what they do to give them merit before God or to lift them above others, I had more. And so I would ask you, what's your list? You know, what's, if you were to make a list of the things that you do because of your, your, your ardent love for God and your devotion to him, what would your list look like? Uh, maybe it would include things like this. I read the Bible every day. I'm faithful in church attendance. Uh, I take pride in the church that I attend. I give uh, regularly a portion of my income. In fact, I give beyond the tithe and I give free will offerings. Uh, I have scripture verses written on the walls, posted throughout my home. Uh, I make all my kids faithfully attend church with me, and we talk about the lessons around our table. Uh, I serve my community in, in God's name. I stand for the sanctity of marriage. And you could go on and build your list. Now, here's the, here's the key idea that Paul is presenting all of those are potentially good things, good values, good priorities, good ways to live out our faith. But if ever, if ever they become the basis of my merit before God, or they become something that I see uh, with a sense of pride, something that lifts me up, even if slightly so, above any others that would... Uh, be made in the image of God, then those very things become worthless to me. In fact, as we're going to prepare to read the rest of Paul's view on putting confidence in our efforts, if any of those become the basis of my merit before God or they cause me to stand above others, they are not worth dog poo. And those are not my words. Those are the apostles. Uh, read along with me. Paul says in verse 7, Whatever were gains to me, whatever I saw to my credit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. Now, th those are profound statements. Uh, those are incredible uh, perspectives on someone who had given their life and dedicated themselves to pleasing God and everything that they thought and did and the way that they went about life. And uh, Paul is saying now, because, because I found 
Christ or have been found by him, I now see anything that would cause me to look upon my efforts or anything that would cause me to see myself even slightly better than any other human being. Paul says, I see all of those as being on the debit side of my life. On, uh, I see those as things that work against my greater good and work against my experience of God. You know, Paul had checked all the right boxes. He had done everything he could to affirm his love for God and his faith in God and his desire to live out uh, his life in such a way that, that God was affirming of him. But when he came to realize that none of that made him righteous before God and the only thing that could was the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross, Paul realized that all of those attitudes and those outlooks and those perspectives actually hindered him from knowing Christ and experiencing God's love. Uh, Jesus uh, told some stories that kind of touch on this reality. He said, how shall I explain the kingdom of God, the kingdom that he came to bring into our lives? He said, it's like a man who spent all his life searching for fine pearls. And uh, one day this merchant uh, finds a pearl that is of such great value. He sells everything that he has in order to gain that one pearl. That's what the kingdom of heaven that Jesus came to bring is like. He said, it's like a man in search of treasure. And uh, one day he finds a treasure hidden in a field. And he goes and he sells everything that he has so he can buy the field, so he can take hold of the treasure. And uh, those stories that are the truth about the eternal kingdom that Jesus comes to bring into our lives, uh, those are what Paul experienced. And when he met Christ, he realized that all of his religious fervor and all of his passions and all of his pursuits literally added up to nothing when it came to knowing Christ. He writes on verse 8, he says, I consider all these things garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness that comes from my own effort, that comes from obeying the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. You know, I looked at every English translation of this statement of Paul's that I consider all my efforts garbage. And uh, there are a lot of different ways that translators try to wrestle with this word that Paul used and they use words like garbage and refuse and uh, worthless. But the one translation that shows up again and again and again and again is dog dung. And uh, I can't think of anything more worthless. Maybe you can, but uh, Paul says, when I look at all of my religious effort, all of my ardent passion, all of my feelings about believing the right things and being on the right side and fighting for the right stuff, when I look at all those things and think that they give me any standing before God or they lift me up about above any other human being, Paul says, I realize those are all worthless. They're worth nothing more than dog dung uh, when it comes to what really matters 
in life. Uh, I like this picture of someone who's disgusted by something. You know, that's the way we should respond when we catch ourselves basing our merit with God on what we do. Or when we find ourselves feeling slightly better than those other people because of our practice or our standards. Uh, Paul says those things actually work against uh, the greater good of actually knowing who God is and what God has done to bring us near to himself. And Paul goes on to talk about what his real pursuit has become now in light of uh, letting go of all those other things that once mattered so much to him. It's not as if his, his uh, devotion to God now is like twiddling his thumbs and doing nothing. He says in verse 10, I want to know Christ. Yes, I want to know the power of his living presence, of his resurrection. And I want to participate in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection for the dead. See, what Paul is saying is uh, the one thing that really matters more than anything to me is knowing this living Jesus. And uh, when he talks about participating in the sufferings of Christ, those really have two sides to that, that reality. On one side, the sufferings of Christ is uh, his willingness to say, God, not my will, but yours be done. Uh, see, Jesus did what none of us could do. He was perfectly obedient to the Father's true will. And whatever that meant for him, day by day, moment by moment, or through the course of his whole life, Jesus surrendered himself to the will of God for his life. And that was part of the sufferings of Christ that took him right to the cross. But the other side of that is the sufferings of Christ for people. His willingness to give everything of himself to bring others closer to God. And Paul says, now that I put aside all of the things that once gave me merit before God and standing among people, I put those all aside in order to know the living presence of Jesus day by day, moment by moment, and to participate with him in the things he suffered for, to say yes to the will of God as best I can in each situation, and to give myself to serve others and bring them into a knowledge of God's love for them. Uh, Paul uh, finishes. He says, not that I've already obtained all of this, in other words, I haven't arrived at my goal yet, uh, but he's giving us a pointer now. Uh, if we really want to make knowing Christ the, the profound center of our lives, here's the way we can approach it. He says, not that I've attained all this or arrived at my goal, but here's what I do. I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me, brothers and sisters. I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. I haven't arrived, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. I, I, I thought of that imagery that Paul says, I strain towards what is ahead. I press on towards the goal. I, I, I thought of this uh, picture I saw. This woman's name is Shawnee Miller, and she's a, an Olympic runner from the Bahamas. Uh, she took the gold after literally falling 
across the finish line ahead of her nearest competitor, American runner, uh, Allison Felix. And uh, here was a comment made about these pictures. If the bylaws of track and field stipulated that the winner has to get her whole body across the finish first, then Felix, the American runner, would have a gold medal around her neck. Uh, although uh, in track, that's not the case. All that's required is to get your torso across the line. Uh, the International Association of Athletics Federation states that the athletes shall be placed in the order in which any part of their bodies, i.e. torso, as distinguished from the head, neck, arms, legs, hands, or feet, reaches the vertical plane of the near edge of the finish line. And, and you got to ask the question when you see something like that, how bad do you want the goal? And certainly uh, that woman, uh, that uh, Shauna Miller, uh, she wanted it desperately bad. And she was willing to put her whole self into taking hold of that. And to, to hear Paul say again, one thing I do, uh, forgetting what is in my past, forgetting what I once clung to, forgetting what once was everything to me in terms of my religious practice. Here's the one thing I do. I press on. I strain forward to take hold of the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Uh, see, it's an amazing truth that Paul is presenting to us that, that we can either cling uh, to our religious activity. We can cling to our behaviors and say, these are what sets me apart. These are what makes me among those whom God looks upon favorably. And uh, Paul is saying those things will actually become losses to us. They will actually handcuff us and hinder us from knowing the power of Christ's living presence and joining him in his work and his purpose of serving our uh, serving others uh, sacrificially so that God's love can be demonstrated through us. You know, we've identified uh, these happiness essentials uh, that not just theologians, uh, but counselors and psychiatrists and life coaches all agree these are the things that make for abounding and genuine happiness. They are a mission and a purpose in life that is bigger than ourselves, a positive view of our personal narrative, the ability to see value and meaning in our sufferings and life's difficulties, and in meaningful connections to God and to people. And here's the truth, uh, friends. When we suffer from bad religion, when we allow our religious practices to, to be the basis of our merit before God and give us some sense of superiority over others, it works against every single one of these happiness essentials. Uh, we're literally uh, not only uh, displeasing God through our efforts, but we're hindering our own personal joy and fulfillment. And see, the words of Jesus uh, bring us back to what is true, that if anyone seeks to save their life, they will lose it. But if anyone loses it for my sake and the sake of the gospel, they will find it. Uh, I wanna invite you to pray with me uh, on this Memorial weekend. What an appropriate weekend uh, to, to be brought back to the fact that there's, uh, there's nothing we can do in our own effort uh, to make us right with God. 
There's nothing about us that would make us better than any others. But in light of the incredible sacrifice of Jesus, uh, we have great standing with God. And it releases in us the ability to love others the way that Christ does. Father, thank you for your words of truth. Uh, Thank you that you being invisible and eternal God, Lord Jesus, you were in equality with God. But as Paul said earlier, you emptied yourself and you came to us. You became like us. And Lord, you gave yourself completely for us. And I just pray, uh, Lord, this weekend that if there's anything in us that has begun to get on this path of, of uh, what we've called bad religion, where we're looking at the things that we do uh, that, that make us somehow better than others and somehow right with you, Lord, your word brings us back to our only hope. Only those who call upon the name of Jesus will experience salvation. And Lord, we can right now, right where we're at, we can rejoice in the Lord. It's a safeguard for us. It keeps us in a healthy place. And so, Lord, I pray that by your spirit right now, uh, if any of us have accumulated any kind of shackles, if we're being weighted down, if we're trying to move those big rocks in our own strength, Lord, that we would just in this moment let go of those things. We would, in a sense, lose our religion in order that we might gain Christ and be found in him. And so, Lord, I pray that the the living presence, the power of your resurrection, and the invitation to share with you in your sufferings for others and obedience to God, Lord, I pray that those values would so be awakened and stirred in our hearts and our minds that we would be like those uh, people in search of fine pearls or in in search of treasure, that we would literally be able to give all that we have in order to obtain all that you want to entrust us with. Lord, if there's any hearing these words that you've never called upon the name of Jesus Christ, but as you hear this message, you're, you're almost thinking, why have I never done that? And I would like to invite you, step across that line of faith. Put your hope in Christ Jesus. Maybe you would be like that runner, casting yourself forward to gain Christ. And uh, if, you're, if you're sensing that in your heart, let me lead you in a prayer. Uh, Lord Jesus, thank you for what I've heard about you today. Uh, thank you for the promise that you made, that you've come, that I might have life and have it abundantly. And these words have come that I might know your joy. And I want that. I open up to that. And Lord, if you can make me right with God, that's what I want. I want your forgiveness. I want your sacrifice to be applied to the things that distance me from God and that help me to get on that quest that I've heard about uh, this weekend, uh, that I would... From this day forward, forget the things that are behind, and I would press on to take hold of that for which you have taken hold of me. I choose you today in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.